Welcome to Youth Talk, a series of in-depth conversations with specialists in their field. No topic is off-limits. We'll be discussing the issue, the impact and the changes needed to improve our world. Enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome to the second in the Use Talk Sustainable Fashion Podcast series. Hopefully you joined us for episode one where we talked a little bit around what sustainable fashion means and the various elements that go into making sustainable choices. I'm delighted that I'll once again be joined by Dr Patsy Perry and on this episode we're going to focus much more around the impact of the pandemic. So undoubtedly the COVID-19 outbreak has affected our lives in every single way. It's not something that any of us planned for and it has changed in ways that we perhaps didn't expect. Certain things have been trends that were underlying such as the move towards working from home but has been accelerated at a speed we wouldn't have expected and other things have come completely out of the blue. Fashion as an industry has had to change to adapt to that. And it's also highlighted certain practices that were going on, accelerated trends towards online shopping. So what Patsy and I are going to discuss through today are just a few of those trends that we started to see, some of the headlines that you might have picked up in the news over the summer, and see what that kind of means for us and what we can do in these somewhat difficult and challenging times to still make sure we're making the sustainable choices that we can be. So thanks ever so much for joining us again, Patsy. Um, I'm going to start by just asking you to run through what are kind of some of the, the trends that we've seen throughout 2020 that have impacted the fashion industry. So we've seen um, much greater uptake of online shopping. I mean, the UK um, was strong on online shopping anyway. People have felt very comfortable with buying clothing online. Um, but since the, the pandemic, more people who wouldn't typically have been buying their shopping online have started to engage with that. Um, we have seen more shopping, even though we're all staying at home. So although we didn't need the kind of stuff that we would normally be buying um, during the season, such as you going out stuff, um, you know, events and an occasion where that you might have for, you know, summer, summer events and weddings and parties and so on but we still like to refresh our look. So instead of that, of course, we know that people have been buying more comfortable stuff, um, suitable for life living on the sofa. And still, if they're working and they're having video calls, we still wanna look um, up to date, um, feel, feel good and so on. So we've had the rise of you know, the Zoom outfit where we've been buying more, more tops and um, earrings and so on, and just um, leaving our pajamas on the bottom. Um, so because we've been buying more comfortable stuff, which tends to be a little bit more forgiving in terms of um, fit, there have been less returns than would be typically seen for other product categories, um, such as, you know, occasion where, where somebody might order, say, five different dresses to see which one fits the best and which one suits them the best, but have no intention of keeping them all. If you just buy in athleisure wear or, you know, trackies, um, you're not really going to buy Five different items to see which fit, fits the best so people are tending to keep more um, however the because more people are shopping online then you know the returns problem hasn't completely gone away um, but I think what's been interesting is that we've also been shopping local um, certainly for food and I think it's enabled people to sometimes discover but also rediscover what they actually have on their own doorstep and really, um, it's given us time to reflect and, and evaluate, you know, what do we actually need um, for our lifestyles, our, our well-being, 
and maybe some people there is evidence that they have slowed down their consumption and they have become more conscious um, because you know the lifestyle we have now you know there isn't that constant um, pressure to keep being out seen out in something brand new but also making advantage of um, you know what's on your doorstep so you know there's been a great um, community spirit seen over lockdown and I think that we have been perhaps reconnecting with our neighbours a little bit more and with what's going on in our community so um, for example peer-to-peer -peer, um, communities perhaps your Facebook group or a local area or um, Freegal, um, Olio apps and so on where you can share things, give things away with, with people locally to you, um, take things that other people don't need, you know one man's um, trash is another man's treasure and so on so it's really about sort of redistributing things not always having to buy new um, and as we've not been able to go browsing around the stores you know we have had to make do with um, figuring out what might look good online and so on. Well, if I just um, jump in there, because there's two really interesting elements that sit next to each other. As one being kind of your your big tech global answer of you know we're buying those things online, we're more comfortable kind of of choosing those clothes and, and having them delivered. But then at the same time, developing stuff at the absolute opposite end of having a local retailer. That that's that's a real changing in mindset that it's kind of it's it's the middle bit um that seems to be kind of getting missed out like you say it's the high street element that we're not walking through those those kind of normal stores that we would have been before and um, you mentioned um that you know the returns problem hasn't gone away uh, could you talk through what some of the issues are around those kind of returns policies and, and people um, shopping online? So that's where there's been been a huge issue around sustainability that kind of sits outside the retailers control a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, retailers are tempting us with, um, you know, fantastic convenience and customer service for shopping online. So very often you've got free delivery, free returns um, and, you know, at least half of everything that gets ordered online is subsequently sent back to the retailer. So the, the impact of the, the carbon footprint for what we call that last mile, so that last journey of the whole great big supply chain that we talked about in um, section one in terms of starting from, from your, your cotton farm or your oil field all the way through, that can actually be the most um, energy intensive in terms of the carbon emissions from shuttling individual parcels around in um, couriers vans only for it then to be returned. And of course, all of the associated often plastic packaging that goes into you know, protect the, the item when it's in transit. Um, so there's actually a lot of waste that happens at that, that point of um, the, the supply chain. And you know, many retailers, it's really difficult because of the volume and the variety of returns. So um, for a number of retailers, the, the returns channel might be even bigger than their largest supplier. Plus, you don't know what's coming in. So you don't have any visibility or predictability of what people are going to return or what condition it's going to be in. So, you know, it's something we don't really think about as a consumer. We try something on, we take it out of the packaging, we don't like the colour, fabric feels a bit funny, we just stuff it back in the bag and take it off to the post office but if it goes back to the retailer in poor condition you know even if you buy a pair of trainers and you don't do the laces back up nicely they often don't have the um you know the, the resources to kind of reprocess those items to make them into a perfect fit state to then send on to the next customer so we have heard now that some returns just go straight to landfill 
it's not something that we necessarily think about. I think so often we feel removed from the issues that we're creating. And, and so what we see is, oh, well, I've decided to buy less, which is, is great and I'm doing the right thing. But if I'm buying 10 options and keeping one and sending nine back, I'm actually causing as many issues, if not more, than if I'd just bought 10 things and kept them and, and worn them throughout their life cycle. Yeah, exactly. But we are encouraged to behave this way, aren't we? So retailers make it really yeah. easy and then sometimes you have a minimum spend so then you, you want to qualify for your free delivery so you think i'll just put another couple of things in my basket i can always send them back so you know we're always encouraged aren't we to consume more order more and i think it's also a reflection of just how tight the margins are in the fashion industry that it sounds obvious but if you're you're selling outfits for 10 15 pounds there is not a big margin um, in that product. So for those you know, fast fashion companies to be successful, they need us to be buying lots on a regular basis. They potentially aren't putting the resources into sorting through returns because it's, it's actually cheaper to get rid of that garment than to resell it. And one of the, the big headlines that we obviously saw over the summer was around the working conditions as part of those supply chains. So can you talk us around a little bit what the issues were, You know, not necessarily just for that one, one factory that, that we saw in Leicester, but in terms of that fast fashion supply chain, what kind of issues are we seeing um, both within the UK and, and abroad? So fast fashion retailers are really good at um, being very close and sensing consumer demand and then being able to what we call pivot and be really agile in terms of producing what the market wants rather than trying to sell them what they thought the market wanted six months ago um, when they put their orders in its Bangladesh and places. So we saw that the, um, the fast fashion retailers, they did really well during the pandemic because they were able to almost overnight switch their production and also what they're offering on the website into what people needed at that time. So none of you going out party wear, but maybe a few Zoom tops and just um, athleisure for lounging around on the sofa. And of course the demand shot up, didn't it? So this is what people wanted to buy. You know, we wanted to buy something to cheer ourselves up and, and still look, look good when we're posing for selfies at home. Um, but then, of course, with the with the supply chain, the volume of the orders went up. And although we had lockdown where stores were shuttered and so on and essential businesses had to close, there was really the pressure to keep those factories open to then service that demand and also keep the warehouses open for um, packing and, and picking online orders. And often these people, they're, they're some of the lowest paid um, in the industry, so they're not really able to, to say no. And then it all came out in the press, didn't it? So we, we kind of felt it, it, it was, um, you know, quite abhorrent, really, that these um, people were almost being forced to go to work against government guidelines and potentially endanger their own health and, and their family's um, welfare. But again, you know, business comes first, doesn't it? Yeah, and it very much comes back to those business models that, that we spoke about in, in the first episode. It's like, actually, that's, that is driven by consumer behaviour. And it's when we do need to start kind of taking some responsibilities. If I expect to be able to buy something at, at a very low price for them to be able to keep up with what I need and, and treat fashion as, as disposable, then that is going to have a knock on impact um, throughout the supply chain. So we're now in, in this position where hopefully 
in the not too distant future, we're going to be coming out of lockdown, we're going to be coming out of restrictions. And there is, you know, understandably a, a huge focus on, on what we need to do to, to restart the economy. You know, we, we want people to be going back out again. We want people to be buying. We want people to kind of putting money back in um, to the economy. How do we balance that need to have a, a really strong, resilient economy with having an ethical, sustainable thing, which is actually driven by reducing consumption? They're, they're two very kind of polar ideals. Is, is there a balance there that we can strike? It's really hard, isn't it? And I think especially for, for large retailers, it's really hard to kind of... Um, redefine your your business model and your value proposition i think it can be easier for for smaller brands so some um smaller more sort of designer um, aspirational brands have now moved to make to order business model rather than make to stock um so therefore they're not overproducing but they're selling they are producing what people want to buy rather than producing things that they hope people want to buy but of course the fast fashion retailers have always been really good at this because they, they'll make things in such small quantities and they tend to sell out of all of their styles at full price compared to you know your bigger retailers that may put um huge forward orders in and then not all of it sells at full price it goes into markdown or, or ends up um, you know going off um into landfill as a last resort so i think we, we really need to think about how we can build alternative um business models that's based on a more circular principles so how can we um offer a value proposition around extended garment use times rather than just selling people individual pieces and expect and wanting them to, to come back and buy more individual pieces but is there some kind of a service that um, brands and retailers could offer where people have access to clothing, but that each piece of clothing has a much longer lifespan rather than just going to one individual and then ending up in the, in the dustbin. In terms of kind of um, making that competitive with purchasing something new. And I think there's also opportunities around um, enabling people to keep their clothing for longer so you know just this month we've seen um, Prince Charles has been featured in British Vogue talking about mending and taking shoes to the cobblers and so on but a lot of these services they're relatively expensive compared to the cost of buying something new so it doesn't encourage people to you know have their clothing professionally mended and not everyone's got the skills or the the time or even the inclination to sit at home mending darning uh, and, and so on themselves but you could take it out to somebody but these services need to be super local, um, super convenient and also competitively priced, which currently they're not. So it's, it's just easier to bob into Primark and buy a new one. That real balance, isn't it? And I think it's it's really important that we acknowledge like there, there's a huge amount of privilege in being able to to buy the the more expensive higher quality garments in having you know the time and the skills to be able to develop those skills to be able to travel to somebody who's got them and, and pay to have have those repairs done but i think it's it's fair to say that a lot of people who are buying fast fashion a lot of people who are who are buying cheap garments and, and treating them as, as disposable it's not necessarily that 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 is a cost decision it's it's a lifestyle decision that there is an opportunity there to say, well, actually, rather than buying a new dress for every Saturday night that I go out and, and wearing it once and, well, it only cost me 10, 15 pounds and I'll chuck it in the back of the wardrobe and never see it again, that there's, there's an opportunity there to rethink how we do things and buy, you know, one or two pieces that are of a much better quality and, and re-wear them. But, you know, I'm 
old enough to, to vividly remember the days of going out before social media. So I knew that I could, you know, go to a wedding with a few different groups of people and could wear the same outfit and, and no one had seen it before. I could go out on a Saturday night with different groups of friends and, and wear exactly the same outfit and no one had seen it. Where now we live in this world where everything's kind of documented and, and shared out on social, that it does exacerbate this, this need and it feeds into, you know, I want to be seen in something different. You know, I don't want to be in every Instagram post, every Facebook album wearing exactly the same clothes. How damaging do you think that, that social media focus has been on, on forcing us to, well, not forcing, but encouraging us, shall I say, to, to buy more different outfits? I think it's been um, extremely effective in kind of feeding that frenzy of um, overconsumption, wearing something new every time. Um, because as you say, it is at odds with everything we're hearing about being more sustainable, our climate targets and everybody having to do their bit and so on. And then you go on social media, if you look at your influencers or some of the you know, fast fashion retailers, whether in the UK or, or, or in other parts of the world, and every outfit they've got on is completely different. But even if you watch TV, you know, you might be watching um, TV series and every time the presenter's got a different outfit on. So, you know, we're kind of told one thing, but we're seeing something else. So it's, it's really hard to sort of toe the line, isn't it? When you're seeing different um, things that don't, don't really kind of stack up together. And, and that whole business model is, is aspirational. It's, it's showing you these, these beautiful clothes brand new different styles different seasons to to give you that that kind of that that sense of FOMO of you know wanting to to fit in and, and have something new and shiny and one of the things that that I have seen pop up a bit more on on the high street and on social media is this kind of normalizing of, of secondhand and, and charity shops that we've seen you know Oxfam in Selfridges um, there's a, there's a great account called Refashion Guide that's essentially an, an online charity shop and I think a lot of people might see charity shops as as something quite old-fashioned you know you're not necessarily going to get um the latest garments in them but but that does seem to be be changing a bit have you seen a, an increase in people buying secondhand and the kind of normalizing that experience i think we are aren't we because um you know it is really accessible in the uk we have a fantastic charity shop network um but it's not just charity shops where you can buy secondhand you know we also have a really thriving vintage scene and a thriving independent scene where um you know small businesses might be upcycling things or you know making things out of um reclaimed fabrics that they might found lying in the back of a factory from the 1960s or something so there are a lot more opportunities nowadays and the, there are stores where you know you can find an edited selection of second-hand garments so if you are more you know, sort of fashion style conscious and you don't want to be rummaging around in the back of a charity shop um we've seen that the the campaign that oxfam did with um, selfridges recently in terms of hand picking some of the more interesting pieces and then placing them in an aspirational prestigious department store location to show people that you know second hand doesn't have to be second best but it's really about kind of um discovering your style and trying things out and also looking at sharing and um, renting swapping models so you know we don't have to keep wearing the same stuff over and over again maybe you do just want to try different styles out once or twice and not wear them again but therefore you don't need to own the piece outright and then have it hoarding away in the back of your wardrobe do you so how can you access um new styles you know people have always kind of swapped things you might swap things with your sister or your best mate when you're at school or whatever but it's about 
you know, having um, that kind of functionality available in the marketplace for consumers so that we can, you know, extend the, the longevity of individual pieces so that they're not just um, all of those resources that went into them throughout the supply chain and then they're just worn once or not at all before being binned. It just seems, you know, incredibly crazy. Like you had those headlines. It's like, you know, the Zara dress that's been to more countries than you have. And you think uh, it's, all of that's gone through. And then, yeah, it might literally have been worn out once and no one's ever seen it again. And particularly when we talk about social media, it's as much as there's this, you know, this aspirational desire to fit in. Actually, what a lot of people are striving for is to have that sense of, of individual style, to be wearing something that somebody else isn't. And, you know, that secondhand market is actually ideal for that. That If you've got these, these beautiful vintage pieces, if, if you're working with, you know, a local seamstress, you know, that you can adjust and adapt these things to make it your own, then actually that's what we want. So you're not, you know, in, in the same dress as, as five other people are at the same event. You're not, you know, wearing the, the same products that, that everybody else is that you've actually got a bit of, of individual style around it so but like you say it comes back to having that network of people that that can do those jobs you know it, it is a highly skilled activity to be able to to alter clothes to be able to dress make to do those things I dread to think what anything would look like if I attempted to do it myself and I'm, I'm so envious of, of people who have those skills because they wear these incredible individual pieces and it maybe is around building up some of that that aspirational um side and having a bit of you know styling help as well so we're not always best at figuring out what suits us what looks good and how we can you know maximize the use of our existing wardrobe in terms of putting things together but i think we've all got that problem where you've got something that you love in your wardrobe but you just don't know what to wear it with or you buy something because you love it on the hanger in the shop and then it comes home and you think i've got nothing else i can put that with or nowhere to wear it to so you know there's there are even you know stylist services that will work with individuals to kind of help them figure out what makes them feel good what suits them and then what they've got in their existing wardrobe and what they can you know, make work. So you can build lots of different outfits without having to have this huge unmanageable wardrobe. So I think we always kind of think about French women, don't we? French women are more about style, not fashion. And, you know, they have a capsule wardrobe, but they always have look this um, kind of chic panache um, and so on with, with quite a minimal capsule wardrobe. Whereas in the UK, our wardrobes are overflowing, but we still have nothing to wear. <laughs> I've always felt like if I have a capsule wardrobe, that'll be the time I'm a proper grown up. That like when I've nailed it and I'm like, I've got my, my nice pieces that I can mix and match and we'll all work. I'm like, yeah, that's the end goal. So just on a, on a final point then um, for this section is there's a lot of talk and we've talked about, you know, extending the life of the garment. At some point, that garment will kind of come to, to the end of what it does. Is recycling the answer here? Is it taking it to a charity shop? Is that just delaying its, its journey to landfill um, a little bit longer? What's kind of the best thing we can do at, at the very end of that garment's life? Well, I think if it's kind of worn out, tatty and so on, it may not be much life left in it, but it can also always be recycled and made into something else. Um, it is a myth that we have garment to garment recycling that doesn't exist at all so even if you do buy you know recycled fabrics from Zara or H&M those fabrics have been made from plastic bottles not from other garments so most of the garments that we, we take back for you know recycling they'll actually end up being made into um, you know building materials insulation industrial matting and so on 
not other garments so we don't have that technology yet but still it's better than putting them in landfill and i think that um you know also we need to encourage brands around their responsibility to have extended producer responsibility so taking stuff back for them to deal with i think that could be a really helpful step for them to to understand you know the ramifications of putting all that stuff out on the marketplace in the first place i think if we take it to charity shops um we do have a good network here in the UK. So what the charity shops can't sell, they will often be picked up by textile recyclers. You will then, you know, dispose of that responsibly. But also we have seen, you know, the huge steaming pile of um, old Western textiles in Ghana, haven't we, that surfaced in the media this year. So sometimes we think, oh, they'll get sent to people in developing countries that need them. They don't need them. They're not fit for purpose. They're, they're worn out. And even then, they can't make use of it. So we're actually just pushing our problem onto somebody else, aren't we? So I think what we need to do is, is kind of, um, you know, look after things, buy a little bit better, and just be a little bit more discerning about the quality, you know, and, and, you know, demand that from retailers. We need to have more durable garments that then could have a second life. And if we only want to wear them once, you know, we don't really need to keep them and own them ourselves, do we? But we could hire them somehow. Brilliant. And I think that's that's a great place to, to end this um, second episode, because in, in episode three of um, these Use Talk Sustainability Fashion podcasts, we're going to go on to, to what our power is as, as individuals, as businesses, as consumers, as, as people who have a part to play in, in that supply chain. And I think it's like you say, it's it's really important to make sure that, that we're making the right decisions. It, it can't all sit with a particular brand or retailer. So thank you ever so much for joining us again, Patsy. Um, and I'll be joining you in the third and final episode of Use Talk Sustainability Fashion. And we'll be ending that with some practical advice on how we can all help to make fashion more sustainable. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to our latest Use Talk podcast. Get involved in the conversation through Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at UseMCR with the hashtag Use Talk. More information on each episode can be found on the show notes. Thank you.